Good morning. The first section is of Psalm 25, 1 to 9. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. In trust, I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but will, shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your Lord, your ways, Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they from are from old of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Um, the next is Luke 4, 1 to 13. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was left by the, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up, led up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels, his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. And now Iris is going to come and uh, preach to us. Thank you. First, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we are able to listen to your word this morning. We pray that you will open our hearts and our ears and our minds as we are diving into your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Now, the uh, picture behind me, I'm curious if any of you uh, remember it, but a couple of months ago in November, a lion broke out of a circus and was wandering the streets of Lettispoli, a city in Italy. Now, as you can imagine, people were a little bit scared. <laughs> Everyone was very on edge, constantly looking if there was danger around the corner, quite literally. Now, in the reading of this morning, we have Satan, the lion, roaming, roaming around, meeting the lion tamer, the lion out of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the light of the world. He confronts this, uh, this, uh, this lion, this, um, this carnivore, and it's a classic account. Now, over the years, I have discovered that um, people don't really believe in the devil. They say they do, but not really, sort of. They don't believe that the devil is a real, actual person. And, um, well, I understand if you have these feelings. They, people might say that he's more of a symbol of darkness and of uh, bad stuff happening. And I can understand if people have trouble with this, if they are not believers in scriptures or if they are not Christians. But what troubles me is that recently there was a poll done by Gallup, that's an American consultancy and research bureau, and they asked Christians if they believed in the devil. And 32% thought that the devil was just a symbol, uh, a symbol of evil and not a living being. Another 11% claimed that they somewhat agreed with the statement, and another 5% said they didn't know, which means that in total, 48% of the people questioned that claimed to be Christian thought that they didn't know who the devil was or were not sure. And I'm wondering, as you are sitting here today, what are your views of the devil? Who do you think he is? And I am really curious how you would respond to that question. Now, don't worry, you don't have to show your hands, but it is something to be conscious of. Now, the problem with not believing in the devil or thinking he's more of a symbol is that you, don't, you won't be prepared when temptation comes and you won't be prepared what he will throw at you and, uh, as he is trying to keep you away from God. You won't be able to defend yourself if you don't know who your enemy is. Now, the question in this really is how much weight do you put in Jesus' teachings and in his words? When Jesus referred to the devil, he said he, him. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, I saw Satan from fall like lightning from heaven. That doesn't sound like a symbol to me, but like a real person, an entity. Ever since Satan fell, He's tried to wage a war on God and to some extent on the plans of God. And because that has been true, we would expect that once the Messiah would come to the world, there would be a confrontation. And that confrontation we have here in Luke 4. Jesus has been Satan's number one priority ever since the fall in Genesis 1 and when it was prophesied that Jesus would come. But he also attacks people. So you could ask yourself, why would he target people if Jesus was his number one priority at the time all along? 
That's called collateral damage. Satan knows his fate. He knows that he will never win. And he knows that he will never overthrow heaven. But he will try to cause collateral damage. And he can only do this by accusing Christians uh, who are saved or keep, keep people who are unsaved from being saved and distract them, deceive them, and tell lies. In John 10, Jesus says, The thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He tries to let the world fall into disarray and chaos. And if you look around us in the world that we have today, he's doing a pretty well job, if you ask me. Now, I want to uh, show you in this passage five words to describe the nature, uh, nature of this confrontation. Five adjectives to help you understand what temptation is and how it works. And the first one is tactical, and I now realize that I don't have the clicker. So who has the clicker? Can I? So the first one is tactical. The devil is tactical. In verse 1, it said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The devil is tactical and will often attack after a time of joy or after a time of blessing. And if you read just this verse, you might think, oh, this is a nice scenery verse. It's a nice story. But if you go back... Uh, to chapter 3, because context is important, you would see an event that happens immediately before his temptation. And I'm curious if you already know what, what it was. Why did Jesus left the Jordan? Why was he even there? It is right after he got baptized. And when Jesus got baptized, the heaven opened, a dove uh, descended down on him, and a voice said, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. So immediately uh, before this happens, heaven opened. So now hell was opened and the devil um, came to Jesus to tempt him. And this is the principle that I want you to see. The action of God invites the reaction of the devil. And I'm sure you know this principle. When it's on a summer eve and it's getting dark, you put on a bright light. And what happens after a couple of minutes? All kinds of nasty bugs are around that light. Lots of activity. So the more business you do with God, the more likely you are to do business with the devil. And nothing promotes the activity of Satan than uh, the proximity of a child of God to God. And you can see that here in verse 1. When reading the accounts in all the Gospels, what strikes me is that Jesus went to the wilderness to be alone with God, to seek his will. He wanted to pray to the Father, to fast, and to listen to his Father. This was the start of his earthly ministry. Now, have you ever noticed that when you want to have quiet time, or something pops up, or the phone uh, rings, or you think of the grocery list that you forgot? It's almost like Satan doesn't want you to have this time alone with God. And that is true. He hates us when people are wanting to draw near to God. Because that is where the power is. Anything Satan can ruin, he will. So anytime you move close to God, that is a good thing. 
And don't worry and be like, ooh, the nasty box will come at this bright shining light. I will keep my distance. No, because you want to be close to God. Because greater is he that is in you than the one who is in the world. Just know that when you do that, it is possible that you might shake up a little bit the kingdom of darkness. But I say that's good. I, I like a good fight, especially when I'm on the winning side. The second adjective is vulnerable. Jesus was in a very particular kind of state. It says in verse 2, For 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Satan uh, is taking advantage of a weakened physical state of Jesus. Can you imagine having to fast for 40 days? You'll be weak. You'll be wanting something to eat. Now, why did the people fast in the Bible? It was only for one of three things. Either it was for mourning. It was for uh, a sign of mourning the dead. It was a sign of repentance. Or it was an act to come close to God. Lastly, is applicable to Jesus here. So Jesus fasts for 40 days. And in verse 3, as you can read behind me, the devil said, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. The if you are in Greek could also be translated more in an uh, affirmative version. The since you are. The devil is not questioning Jesus to be the son of God. He's more saying like, well, since you are the son of God, uh, transform this stone to become bread. He is implying what kind of loving father would not give you some bread when you are hungry after 40 days of fasting? What, what kind of loving father will not provide food for you? Perhaps you know these whispers when life gets tough. Is this the life that a loving father would want for his child? But what does Jesus answer? It is written, men shall not live on bread alone. In some translations, this sentence goes a bit further with, the man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. It is a quotation of the Bible book Deuteronomy. Jesus is not suggesting that you don't need food to live or bread to live, but he is saying that is not all you can live on. What sustains life is not physical food, but spiritual food. We need bread for the body, but we also need food for the soul. So now we have two words, tactical and vulnerable. The third word is practical. <laughs> Satan was a pragmatist. He's very logical and very practical. In verse 5, the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms in the world in a moment of time. And he said, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. What's interesting about this is that Jesus never rebutted this. He, said, he never said, no, that's not true because it hadn't been delivered to you. That's because he knew that it had been delivered to the devil. In Genesis, God gave the earth to mankind and mankind gave it over to Satan when they followed his suggestion to eat from the forbidden fruit. That is why the devil is called the god of this world, prince of darkness, father of lies. And that is why redemption was necessary. Satan is suggesting that Jesus takes a shortcut. That's basically it. The devil knew why Jesus had come. He knew what kind of road was ahead of him. 
He knew why God the Father had promised Jesus the kingdoms of this world. And Satan gets to question gets Jesus to question God's plan and say, Well, do you have to go to the cross? I can give it for you, to you right now. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to become the suffering servant. If you just worship me, I'll give it to you right now. You can spare all that misery. Now, you know that if you have any dealings with the temptation and with the devil, you know that the devil likes to play the if-only game. If only God would do this. If only you had this, or you deserve what... If only you had what you deserve, you would be happy. God is holding back from you, and God's way is painful. So have it now. I'll give it to you now. It's the easy route. Well, what does Jesus say? He says, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other ways, no thanks. I'd rather wait for the promise of my father. And you need to know something. There are no shortcuts in Christian life. If something is too good to be true, it probably is. There is no easy victory. Just do this or that and awesomeness happens. No, there is no shortcut. Jesus, our Savior, had to uh, be crucified for us to be sanctified. Had to hang on a tree to sit on his throne. And don't expect easy if he had to do this for us. Immediate gratification often brings eventual dissatisfaction. The idea of, I gotta have it now. That's something that really lives in our society today. I gotta have it now. I gotta have it now. The immediate gratification often brings eventual dissatisfaction. But delayed satisfaction, waiting for God in his own time to give you what he has in store for you, that will bring eventual satisfaction. So, it's, it, it is immediate because you know that you are pleasing God by waiting. And it's eventual because you have what you asked of him in the end. And that's why it's so precious. Now, we have three words, tactical, vulnerable, and practical. The fourth is sensational. So Satan goes uh, and uh, thought, I'm going to give the people something to spectate. I'm going to do something sensational. Verse 9, as you can read behind me. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, if you are the son of God, since you are the son of God. Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So the suggestion is that Jesus jumps. Satan uses a different tactic now for this temptation. Because what does he do? He quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 91. But there's something that you need to know. Satan left something out when he quoted this. So he said, verse 11, you can see it behind me, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But the context is missing because there are verses before this. And that context is, if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make 
the Most High your dwelling, then he will command his angels concerning you, and so on. So this is what Satan does. He leaves out context and only quotes what serves him. Cults do this all the time, pick and choose. You can make the Bible say anything you ever want if you put it out of context. And that is exactly the tactic that Satan is using right now. And it wouldn't be surprising, and it shouldn't be surprising, that Satan is doing this. Because he was trained in the best seminary there is, in the throne room of God. Don't forget, he was an angel before. So Satan quotes out of context. Now, why would he suggest Jesus to jump? Well, my take would be one of two things. One, he would hope that Jesus would die, then he could never be crucified, and the world would never be sanctified and saved. Or... He would believe that God the Father would rescue him and deliver him, which which means that Jesus would cease to be in submission to the will and timing of the Father, which would also lead to chaos. So we have three temptations. The first one with the stone and bread is questioning God's provision. The second one with the kingdoms of the world is to question God's plan. And the third one is questioning God's protection. Verse 12, uh, Jesus answers, it, it's, it is said, do not put the Lord your, your Lord your God to the test. In other words, you cannot deliberately place yourself in temptation and expect God to deliver you. If you go to a bar and you pray, God, please don't make me, make me drink, well, you can still have that drink. If you are speeding and there's a cop somewhere next to the road, and you pray, please don't give me a ticket, you will still get a ticket. You can't walk, uh, you can't, God gave you minds and legs to go the other way. You can't put yourself in temptation and expect that you won't be tempted. So, we have four words for the temptation. We have tactical, vulnerable, practical, sensational, and lastly, Seasonal. Because just when you think it's over, the, uh, the reading reads in verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Which means he was, like the Terminator said, I'll be back. <laughs> and he did. He came back through Peter, suggesting that Jesus would not go to the cross, to which Jesus replied, Get behind me, Satan. He got back when he prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. The Bible says Satan entered him. So when you successfully deal with temptation that comes to you and you have the victory, great. You learned a great lesson. You made a great stride. But Satan does not not go, okay, I'll leave you be. No. He will observe and look and see where your vulnerabilities lie and wait until you are in a weakened state. Now make no mistake, God and Satan are not equal opposite forces. God already has the victory. All Satan has left is smoke and mirrors, whispers, lies. He can make you doubt, he can play tricks, but he can't behave like random exorcism movies or horror things. He can't possess you or anything. He can't kill you. He doesn't have that kind of power. We don't have to be afraid. But we do have to be mindful of how temptation works. So 
to, before we close, I want to give you three things to take away to fight temptation. And they are easy to remember because they all start with an S. So the first one is stand your ground. It is time, if there ever was a time for Christians who stand their ground, it is right now. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stand your ground is a military term. You can literally just stand, you know, take a, take a position, stand your ground, resist, be unmovable. Second, when temptation comes around, study your Bible. Each temptation that was thrown at Jesus was replied by Jesus with scripture. So it's not randomly quotes that Jesus gives. No, it's way more profound than that. It's the idea that I live my life under the submission of the principles of my father. There is a great danger in not knowing your Bible. We can't plead ignorance anymore. We have Bibles all around. Sit down and read them. Read the verses, read it. Oh, don't open yourself up to temptation and read your Bible, know what to say when he is whispering in your ear. And thirdly, stay near our God. Yes, Jesus was tempted by the devil, but remember the context in the first verse. He was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was led to the wilderness. Don't make God a go to church on Sunday God. Make him a companion of your life your best friend, have time to invest in this relationship. If you don't, if you don't have someone like God, if you don't have God, to rely on, an authority for you to stay close to, you will succumb to value systems of the world, feed it by, for instance, social media, and think and act like what you see. Put your faith in Jesus, in God. So unlike the lion who was captured in Italy, the roaring lion is not captured. He is seeking who he may devour and destroy. But he is no match for the lion out of the tribe of Judah, who has prevailed. And remember again, John already said it, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen.